This is Ali Ciardo, and this is Photo Field Notes, stories and inspiration from professional photographers. Hi, everyone. Today's interview is with photographer Leanna Garrity. She's built photography into a full-time career through basically just word of mouth, and she's found a really creative solution for an in-home studio. If you're listening to this in iTunes, you can find show notes, photos, and other resources at photofieldnotes.com. Let's jump in. I am here with Leanna Garrity from Leanna Teresa Photography. Leanna, let's jump right into your story. All right, awesome. I actually took photography classes in high school. I worked at the local Photoshop. There, you know, when film was still in, there was a place that developed film here. It was really the only store to get cameras. And I started there. And I remember the first time my boss, his name was Van, he let me take passport photos, which are absolutely nothing of no importance. They're in front of a white background, but I thought I was legit. Like, I'm like, okay, I'm just probably the awesomest person ever. I was 15, so it gives me a little leeway there. And then from there, there's like a little local pageant, and he let me do a couple portraits of the girls from there, and I loved it from that moment. But my parents kind of were like, eh, photographer's not a real job, and I never really talked about it again. It was kind of just always this little thing I wanted. I was a girl that always had the camera everywhere we went, um, just like basically every other photographer. And then I, I went to college. I have two degrees in business and marketing, and I just started you know, feeling like I wasn't fulfilled anymore. I had a great job for a wonderful company, but I was getting up and going to work every single day for somebody else. So I started assisting and second shooting, and it kind of just evolved into this whole thing on its own, which is wonderful and beautiful. You know, in hindsight, I probably could have done something smarter, but then again, you kind of fall into things sometimes, and they work out how they do. So you were assisting, so you were working full-time, and then you just got in touch with another photographer to start assisting. Right. I was actually carrying bags. I was doing anything I could to get that wedding experience. Because um, I feel like it's really, really important. There's no redo. If you mess up on a family session, especially when you're first starting out, you can always redo it. There is no redo on a wedding. And I was so nervous to make mistakes that I, I wanted as much experience as I could gather up. Okay, so where did it go from there? Um, it kind of, it started out pretty slow. And then, you know, friends and family kept saying, oh, you should do this. You should do this. This is something you should really do. But not to be mean, friends and family don't know what white balance is. They don't understand what gear goes into it. Like, yeah, I knew I had an off-camera flash, but I knew I couldn't work off-camera flash, if that makes sense. Like, I had the gear, but I didn't know how to use it. It didn't have enough education on it. Um, So what I did is I hired another photographer because I was getting inquiries and getting people who wanted to book weddings and book family sessions. And I was charging, like, next to nothing. I think I was charging $50 for family sessions. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Now that I'm further along in the industry, I do see a little, you know, I, I kind of get both sides of the coin. You have to what what you're worth. So I hired a mentor who came along with all my weddings to me, and it was probably the most valuable experience that I've had. Um, he was a very seasoned professional, not somebody who would normally do that, but we kind of had some uh, mutual friends, so it was something he was comfortable with. And I, he would tell me all the time, you're overpaying me, you're overpaying me. I would make $1,200 on a wedding and give him 600 of it. It's such a fascinating way to go about it that rather than you working for him at, this, at another wedding of his, you were actually paying him to come along. Was he shooting with you or just giving you yeah, advice? No, he was a quote-unquote second shooter, but he was better than I was. So you paid him. Yeah, that's so fascinating. 
And um, I, I can't say that that's something that would really work out for most photographers. It just was a very random situation I came across. I'm very, very appreciative of this person. They taught me so much. And from there, I started all over again. I got more serious about it. I started taking more classes. I started playing in the rain with my friends with my flashes and my gear and really making sure that I was comfortable and I was ready to take that next step and do it on my own. Because like I said, that that kind of situation that I was in, that's not going to happen for everyone. This photographer is a well-known, very well-respected photographer locally, and I kind of just stepped into it, which is kind of how some things work with business. Like sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. So it was a definitely a unique experience, and it works for me. It might not work for everyone else, but that's really where I got my start. Yeah, that's why I like to share stories, because I think that there's a lot of advice that can be picked out of stories, and it's true. Not not everyone's going to have those same happen chance things that happen to right. you or happen to me, but I think hearing those stories, it might spark a little bit of something. Like Maybe it's not exactly the same, but hearing the story helps others kind of say, okay, well, how could something like this, you know, happen to me or even just being open to the community? If they're like, oh, I've never reached out to other people. I think that that's really valuable. Okay. So then how did it become, so at this point, you're still working full time as you're doing this? Yeah. Okay. Then what yeah. happened? And then honestly, it, I went through a divorce. Um, I didn't have much money to my name and I was busy enough that I could leave my job. I had a wonderful job, but I moved into an apartment by myself. I packed up what I could in my little Nissan Sentra, and that's all I took with me to start over. And at that point, I was like, okay, I, I can do this. I have enough encouragement from family and friends. I've run the numbers 55 times. I can do this. And I jumped all in. And it was an awesome, awesome first year. I, I can't complain. Um, in hindsight, there's still part of me that kind of, wish I stayed working a little bit, not because I don't love what I do, but because in an industry where there's a thousand new photographers, it feels like every day. I'm noticing that last year, there's definitely a shift. There's definitely a change. And financially, I'm still absolutely making it. But I'm feel, I was starting to feel like a factory. I wasn't loving it every single day anymore. So I stepped back and said, okay, what do I need to do? I'm not going to take 25 weddings anymore. I'm only going to take 15. I'm not going to book a client just to pay my mortgage. I'm going to book a client because it's the right fit for me. And it has completely renewed like my faith and my love for everything that I do. So I'm sure when you started, when you first make that, made that leap, it was definitely scary. And I'm sure taking everything, you know, might come out of fear, might come out of just a need to make the numbers work. First of all, going back to when you did make that leap, what, what, was the threshold for you that made you comfortable when you're running the numbers? Was it that you wanted a certain number of weddings? Did you set kind of a financial goal for yourself? How did you run the numbers 50 times and say, yeah, that's good for me? What was that? What kind of hit that I threshold? knew that I knew that I could, if I could make X amount of dollars a month, if I could make $2,500 a month, I knew that I could pay my bills. I was making more than $2,500 a month. Maybe I didn't have that all in the books at the time I left my job and did it full time. But if I looked at all my wedding payments throughout the year, I knew that I, I could still pay my bills. But in our industry, it's not what's happening this year. Right now, we have to be worried about next year already. Yeah, that's a, well, that's a good thing about, I think for me, because I do mostly weddings, weddings are great because you can plan far in advance and you can know when you're making that leap that, okay, you have this many books, weddings on the book, you know, it kind of averages out to this. So anyway, go on. You know, so um, for me, you know, I just always wanted to keep in mind, like, okay, how can I keep this momentum going? 
And what's going to happen? Let's say it's three weddings cancel. But if somebody gets sick or they call off the wedding, can I still make it? So, you know, and I made sure that I could pay all my bills just on wedding photography. I do families, babies, newborns, uh, boudoir, all of that good stuff. So if I could survive on just weddings, I knew everything else would help me make it. Because surviving and paying your taxes and running a successful business are two very different things. So having all of that extra income, I knew I'd be able to pay my taxes. I knew I'd be able to hire the right accountant to help me with all this. I knew I'd be able to upgrade my website because those are all the things you don't think of. We get so focused on, okay, am I going to pay my bills? Am I going to make it this month? There's a lot more that goes into a business than that. Okay. And as you've been growing this business and you know, you're looking for those right clients, not just any clients, how are you putting yourself out there? You mentioned to me that you haven't done any paid advertising until recently when you just started experimenting with Facebook boosted posts. So what kind of marketing were you doing to find the right clients for you? Um, honestly, it was 150% word of mouth. I just really make sure at every session I want to connect to my clients because I want to make sure that they're talking to somebody else about me. I make sure I follow up. Hey, how'd it go? Were you able to download everything okay? Were you able to do this, that, the next thing? Um, it was kind of also my location. There really wasn't a lot of photographers by me. There were some wonderful, wonderful, wonderful ones who were priced according to their skill level. I wasn't there yet. So there was a a very large middle ground of people who didn't have a family photographer. And I've just developed relationships with all those people. Another thing is I never, ever, ever talk to my clients like they're a client. I talk to them like they're my best friend. Like when we meet for our first wedding interview or our console, I should say, I'll say to them like, Hey, I can be professional, but I'm not a salesperson. I'm a photographer. So I'm not going to push sales on you. I'm going to talk to you like I talk to my best friend. We're just going to connect right now because on your wedding day, we have to get along all day. Your florist can give you a great price and a great product, but you can despise them as a person and not get along with them. And it doesn't matter because they drop off what their product is and they leave. On your wedding day, we're hanging out all day long. I'm probably going to see you and your friends naked, but you're going to be getting dressed. (laughs) This is what happens. We all have to get along. So I really... Honestly, I sold myself, not my business. Like I just got rid of all that professionalism and that's kind of worked in my favor. There's times that it hasn't though. There's times where I can tell people wanted more of that professional experience, but you know what? I wasn't necessarily the right photographer for them. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's part of finding the people who are right for you. Is there anything else that you're doing to keep that connection going beyond just the wedding day and the meetings when you're meeting them in person? Um, I actually, as I started taking less weddings, this is my first year that I'm only taking 15 weddings a year. I'm really, really, really working on taking that personal connection to another level. Like just a few weeks ago, I, it's so corny, but I got this, uh, these really cute note cards with pictures of cupcakes on them. And I sent each of my wedding clients for 2015, like a handwritten note and a $10 Starbucks gift card. Like go get yourself a treat on me. Is it the end of the world? No. Is it a big deal? No, but I just want my clients to know I am thinking about them. I'm happy to be a part of your life. Like, I want to keep this friendship going. And did you get a good response from that? I did. I got a really, really good response from it. I mean, nothing crazy. I didn't spend a million dollars, but it was genuine. It was heartfelt. Like, I want to be connected with them. I'm, I do notice sometimes other photographers will, you know, maybe send their clients gifts every single month, like a little something, a little this, a little that. That's not me because I don't feel like that's genuine. That's something I'm now expected to do every month. 
I just want to have like a really nice connection with my clients. I want to be really, really genuine. If you're doing it, hoping someone's going to tag you on Facebook and put a picture of it, that's not the right reason to do it. Do it because you, you're happy with what you do for a living and you do want to connect to your clients. Yeah, I love it when, you know, I started to try kind of the little gift. I always ask my clients what their favorite dessert is when they contact me, which sounds kind of cheesy, but they're really enthusiastic about it. They'll put in the contact form like exclamations like cheesecake all the way or like my mom makes this special thing. And so last year for the first time on Valentine's Day, I sent each couple something just a little bit related to what they liked. And Mm -hmm. I definitely saw the difference where on the day that I came to their wedding, I was getting, you know, they would run to me and hug me versus just that like, oh, hey, (laughs) or like if they call me the photographer versus it's Allie. So I think that's really been amazing. So I think it's cool that you're doing that too. And I think, you know, it'll be fun to see how that comes out. And I'm trying to take that to another level. I've gotten um, a ton of new products. I'm working on like each client. I feel like she gets something different. I don't want to send client gifts after the wedding that aren't personal. So I've been working on like four or five different things that I can have so I can send them to my clients that are personal related to them. Like one of my ideas was maybe if a client's not so tech savvy, like a really cute um, custom USB with their picture on it in a cute little presentation box and maybe a new address stamp with their first and last name on it and some note cards with their new last name. It's not a million dollars, but I know they're not super tech savvy, so they're not going to be printing out return address labels, and they're probably not going to really be so great at getting their pictures onto a USB, so they have them for extra storage. So that would be appropriate for that client. Yeah, I love that personalization and just going the extra mile. Okay, let's move on into finding your voice and finding your style. So you shoot across a couple of different categories. How did you figure out kind of what your voice wanted to look like or what your style looked like? Did that evolve over time? It did. And and I'll be really honest. One of the best pieces of advice that mentor I had gave me was don't shoot for Facebook, shoot for your clients. Because in the very beginning, um, you know, you kind of get a little bit of a big head. I mean, I hate to admit that, but especially now the market's a little bit more saturated. But when I first started, you know, everyone was like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is this, this is that. And it it kind of boosts your self-esteem and you, you want that. You want that image from every single shoot. However, that might not be what's best for your client. This image that you really have in your mind that you want to try out, that you just think is going to be the most awesome thing, that might not match what your client's voice is. So I had to really find this middle ground of being true to myself. And I like my images to be really light and airy and full of sunshine. Um, Like Susan Stripling, I love her stuff. It's way too dark for me. It's not my style. I love light and bright and sun. So I had to try and always make sure that I was matching what felt good to me and what was going to be best for my client. Because at the end of the day, if I'm connecting to these clients, my voice is to make them happy. Nice. Okay. And you also mentioned that you give back. You spend about 40 hours a year on photography services that are actually meant to give back. How did that get started and how do you go about it? Well, honestly, people ask for things all the time. And which is wonderful. I understand that I'm involved with a lot of organizations around here Everybody wants, you know, this photographer, hey, come take pictures at my event and use them for my portfolio, for your portfolio. And you don't want to be rude because you do want to support this uh, foundation or whatever it is. But images of, uh, you know, of a, a local community party to raise money for somebody aren't what my portfolio is about. If they want free pictures, that's cool. I get it. But I can't help everybody. So what I decided to do a long time ago was, okay. What can I do realistically? What fits into my time schedule? 
40 hours a week. Is that going to be one wedding one year? Because let's be honest, the wedding's about 40 hours worth of work. Is that going to be five family sessions? Because I count a family session as eight hours of total work. Is that going to be, you know, just event coverage, this, that, or the next thing? So I took it and I scaled it down. And it serves myself because I have now a response to give to people when they're asking for things. And it's helping me serve my community. And each year I decide for that to be something different. That's really fun. That's a really great way to give back. So I think that, you know, it takes effort to think about, do I give money? Do I give time? How do I use my talents? And I think that's a really cool systematic way to make sure that you are giving back. And you also, as a a business owner, there's a very fine line. You want your name out there. You want a really good community connection. You want to give from your heart, but you have to say no. Sure. You know what I mean? Like I can't always, unless it's a an organization I'm extremely passionate about. I can't promise to photograph their event on Saturday in June because I'm probably going to need to take a wedding that Saturday because I have bills I have to pay. So you have to find this fine line of being really honest with yourself and giving and then, you know, being a responsible business owner. There's a fine line in that and everybody, you know, in your time finds how to walk that line. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Okay. So what are your goals for your business in the coming years? Um, my goal is to successfully stay at 15 weddings a year. Um, I now have a home studio where I do a lot of boudoir photography to keep boudoir and um, newborns really, really strong because boudoir and newborns are something that I only do on weekdays, kind of like afternoon and earlier. And that's a time of day for photographers that's wide open. Nobody books family sessions at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday. Right. So I really want to keep growing that end of my business because that's a completely empty time for me. I love doing families. I love doing all that, but I have limited it. I now start charging more for weekend sessions. It's $50 more for a weekend session with me. Not that I don't want to work with people on Saturday and Sundays, but at some point I have to have a life also. I can't work every single weekend. Have you found with boudoir, at least, you know, these are people who might have to take time off of work to make it work. Do they do that to come into you to meet you during that time? They do. That's awesome. Um, You know, every once in a while, I'll have a client who just says, like, I literally can't. I can't afford it. I can't miss work. I can't whatever. Okay, well, that's totally fine. And, you know, I'm pretty flexible, especially if it's an existing client. But also, I explain to people, like, if you're going to get your makeup done, Tuesday at 10 o'clock, you might be able to get something a little bit more affordable than on a weekend in June. And, I try, you know, I don't want to sell it. But as a business owner, you have to decide, this is my rules, and I need to follow them. Another reason that I only do boudoirs during the week is because I have my boyfriend that lives with me. It's not appropriate for him to be here when there's a woman in my studio. So, you know, can he leave on a Saturday afternoon for an hour or two? He sure can. But, you know, that's the structure I've built. And I've learned as once you're a little bit more established in your career, you can say to people, this is what I offer and you can make it or you can't. And you can be very kind when you say that. And you'll learn once you kind of have a little bit more of a a name and a career for yourself, people will respond to that and they'll make it work. I've actually been really surprised. I've just started using this tool called Schedule Once where people can go on and see my office hours that are just during the week. So they're only from nine to five, three days a week. And especially for meeting with clients, wedding clients, which before I think I always just said, oh, they probably can't meet until the evening. So I would just automatically give them these evening times. And when I started giving them this link to the schedule that's only during the day, and I might say, okay, yeah, I could also make it work on some evenings. We can talk about it. And I was shocked by how many people were like, oh, sure, we can meet during the day. So it's kind of like if you set those limits, 
it's really amazing that people actually will fill into those limits. It's kind of cool. Is that the system that you use to schedule this phone call? Because I have to say, I actually thought to myself, this is amazing. This oh, is like yeah. super yeah. easy and convenient. It really was. It was very thorough. It was very easy. I really liked that. Yeah, it's $5 a month and you can schedule, you can pretty much set your own hours and people can just click on it and put in the request. I use it. I've been using it for only a couple of months and it's really, really cool. So I can put the link in the show notes to it. It's really nice. Um, tell yeah. me a little bit more about your home studio. How did that come around and how did you make your own home? Where is it? How did you make that your own studio? Well, what I did is when I was, uh, I had gotten divorced, I moved into my apartment and I'm not an apartment girl. I like my yard. I'm a Pinterest lady that's obsessed. Like I'm always spray painting something like I, I need some space. So when I was house shopping, that was, you know, besides wanting storage and all the things we want in our home, I wanted a room to make a studio. So I purchased this home expecting to make the downstairs my studio. There's a very, very large room downstairs. But once I moved in and was here 24 hours a day, I hated the light. So now I have an extremely large master bedroom that I don't know what to do with. And I had to convert a much smaller room into my studio. And I was super nervous about it. But what we actually did is, I don't know if you're familiar with a Murphy bed that folds into the wall. Oh, yeah. It cost a couple thousand dollars, but we built a Murphy bed. So now I have this beautiful, it looks like a custom shelving unit with a bed that folds right out. I like to do my newborn sessions on a bed. I know people use like the posing beanie bags and this and that. I like a bed. I have my little system. It works for me. So that's what I do. And then I can also use it for boudoir and then just fold it right on up. And then I have all my backdrops and everything I can put right in front of it for cheek smashes and other boudoir poses and anything I need to do. Oh, that's so fun. I like that. That's really clever. I think a lot of a lot of photography going beyond just the technical aspect of it or just being kind of creative with taking the photos. So much of it about standing out is that creativity. It's almost like that. This is cheesy, but like that Pinteresty, like you said, Pinteresty kind of creativity where you can yeah. come up with those solutions like, okay, how do I convert this? How do I use this Murphy bed? You know, something that's just different, that's really convenient. And clients are like, oh, that's awesome. That's amazing. And I have to say, at first, I was a little bit hesitant. Like, I didn't want a million people in my home. Like, I have a dog. Is the dog going to be barking? Like, is this going to annoy them? Is it going to wake up the baby? What, you know what I mean? Like, these are all things that you need to think of. Uh, but the response that I have gotten is amazing. Like, everybody says to me, I'm so much more comfortable in your home, especially for a boudoir. The girls are so comfortable. Because, you know, and I say to them, like, expect a very laid-back experience. I say the same thing to my boudoir girls that I say to my newborn families. This is going to be a very relaxed experience. Walk into my home like you're walking into your best friend's house. Kick your shoes off. Do what you got to do. Because I want people to feel comfortable. Like I said earlier, I don't sell my brand. I kind of sell myself. Like, I am who you're hiring. We need to be connected. If you're going to do boudoir and get pretty much naked in front of me, we need to be very, very comfortable. You know what I mean? Right. So having the studio in home has been a huge, huge, huge asset. People always comment how comfortable they are to come here. And boudoir uh, clients, you're not meeting them until they actually come for their session, or do you meet them ahead of time? Um, usually, I don't meet them until they're here, but I would say eight out of ten clients have been referred to me to somebody else. Like, I can't tell you how many times I'm um, shooting a wedding, and one of the bridesmaids will whisper to me, like, oh, my God, you're the girl who doesn't make photos. I'm going to call you. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> go have another drink. We'll talk this week. Nice. Um, so they are immediately, they have to immediately be comfortable when they come in with you. Yeah, and that's part of my whole, you know, I don't want to make it sound like that's part of my sales pitch, but when I walk into a room when a bride's getting ready, 
I'm going to talk to everyone. I'm not going to walk in and be like, hello, my name is Deanna. I'm a photographer. I'm like, hey, girls, what's going on? You guys look fabulous. You know, you just kind of got to go in and talk like you're your friend to your friends. And some people might look at you like, well, this girl's a little crazy or she's a little too comfortable. But you know what? At the end of the day, you're, I'm being genuine to myself, which makes everyone else around me more comfortable. Right. And that's what they hired you for because they like exactly. you for you. Right. All right. Tell me about, as my kind of last wrapping up question, do you have a favorite book or a favorite resource that you kind of keep, that you re- have read or that you look to to grow as a person, a business owner, a photographer? Um, there's a couple things. I have to say, number one, I completely love Creative Life. I watch a ton of creative live stuff. Um, I'll go through phases with it where I'll kind of fall off and on with it. Um, but creative live is huge. If you're a girl and you're having your own business, Lady Boss is the name of the book. The woman's name is Sophia something. I forget the last name. She created a, a line called Nasty Girl. Awesome, awesome book about like getting off your butt, doing it, stop being afraid. Um, the challenges you face as a woman having a business, the things you need to plan for and you're probably not thinking of. I absolutely love that book. And then um, another thing is that I took some advice someone had given me and I stepped out of my zone. Like doing this podcast, so not something I normally would do, but I have to start stepping out of my zone. Because of a creative person, we kind of get stuck in these ruts. So what I've been doing is I bought writing books. One of the books I bought was 642 things to write about from Target. And each page is like, you're an astronaut and what are the three meals you're going to eat today? Like the most random things you've ever heard of. Now, I particularly don't care about writing. I'm not a strong writer. But it's something creative that's not photography. It's forcing my brain to think in a different direction. So while it's corny, it costs me $15. And it's something I try and do every day or every other day. And just step outside my zone. Like everything doesn't have to be the, inter- the images you see on Pinterest. Everything doesn't have to be the images you've done a thousand times before, but we get stuck in that rut. So I try and do something a little bit different outside of my comfort zone at least once or twice a month to kind of keep those creative juices flowing a little bit. That's cool. And in the book, does it actually give you a place to write? This is all personal or do you, do you write yeah, it in your Yeah, book? no, no, no. It's like a whole, it's right at Target. It's in by like the, uh, where you buy like birthday cards and that kind of thing. And each page, like some spots are really, really little. You can only write three sentences about, um, you know, describe a crazy person wearing six layers of clothing. I think was like the last one I did. And it only gives you a couple spaces. But then the next page might be about, tell me about your spring garden. And it would be a, a full page that you can write in. I like it. Well, Leanna, thanks for stepping out of your zone and coming and being a part of this. You had a great story. It's a lot of fun. All right. Thanks for having me. On next week's episode, Mikhail Milrod has made a few big leaps of faith, moving from Florida to New York City, quitting her job to do photography full-time, and then moving yet again to Raleigh, North Carolina. The transition was slow. It was not an overnight thing, and you have to really want it. 